0: find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive.
1: There's crisis, isn't there? So we need some drastic change. And I think that restaurants can be a catalyst for some of this drastic change. So. Restaurants have this incredible part to play in the life of a thriving society, because they're prolific, they're everywhere and they are mainstream. You know, lots of people eat out of all different budgets and all different demographics, lots of people eat out. So restaurants have this incredible part to play in being a catalyst for much needed social change.
0: This is Carly Trisgrohe, co-creator of UpUp. And she and the team at Abba believes it's now time for a national restaurant service. We'll dive into what that means in the conversation. But they opened back in July 2021 as a social experiment with a mission to change the landscape for casual dining, putting community back in the heart of restaurants. It's founded by husband and wife team Ian and Carly, who brings great business skills and hospitality experience from operating a very successful purpose-driven cafe. Carly shares the story behind the deep purpose of using restaurants on the high streets as a vehicle for positive change. We also dive into how they can address obesity, access to good work and loneliness. We also talk about how hospitality business can be key to learn people about good food and how that can impact both their own health, but also the impact that will have on the planet. We talk about hospitality has a huge responsibility as an employer due to we actually employ 8% of the national workforce, especially young people in their first jobs. So we talk about how you can create good jobs and conditions that will not only make it good for business short-term but also make the industry a great place to work in the long-term. We also discuss why the industry needs to change their approach to leadership and culture, what they have learned from launching any pandemics and also how she looks at the future of hospitality before you tune in please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more maverick insights strategies and tools you will find a link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com before i hand over to, to carly i also wanted to say that i've been talking with carly for some years and i love what they're doing and i really look forward to share this conversation with you it will make you reflect and think about what your own role is in hospitality when it comes to create a better world. Enjoy. Today, we will be diving into what I know lots of you people that tunes into this show, but also as you know myself, I'm very passionate about finding a different way. There must be a better way of building you know, businesses within our beloved industry. And that was actually why Hospitality Mavericks was founded some, some years ago, because I wanted to find that better way and and share these stories. And today's guest, uh, I connected with, I think it's a couple of years ago now, but we we can revisit that in a moment. But from the outset, we both believed there was a different way and, uh, must be a better way to build hospitality businesses that only not do great business results, but also make a positive impact for. For people, the communities they're part of, and the end, the planet and humanity. And with that said, I think I will just guide us straight into the conversation. Welcome to the show, Carly. Finally, we're here to share your story and 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 your insights and thoughts and philosophies about how you build better.
1: Oh, there is a better way, isn't there? There's definitely a better way. Yes, and you know, thank you for giving me the platform to talk about my favorite subject.
0: Just for people out there. That don't, you know, haven't heard about you before and what you've done because you're, you're not new in hospitality. You had, had a business prior to your new business, OPOP. Would you just give them, like, uh, you know, a little overview, maybe your elevator pitch, but also talk about your journey to open the business you have now, which is a social enterprise, first of all, as a core, but also how you got there?
1: Gosh, so um, I started with a hut in a park in around 2005 and quickly realised that people liked what I was doing, which was essentially bringing affordable food to the masses. I mean, that's what it was about 18 years ago. That's what it's actually still about, um, affordable food, but food that um, was good for people and for planet. So we started in a park in 2005. We fairly quickly outgrow our hut um we um, managed to raise the money that was needed to build ourselves a permanent building. And um, we ran we ran the cafe in the park, which still trades, but it's nothing to do with me. But um, um, we ran it for around 14 years. We had a team of around 22 full time people. And, you know, we proved um, in a very painful way. I mean, we called it my expensive hobby for about the first seven or eight years. You know, that, that's a long time. Um, but we proved eventually that you can do business well and feed people well in a way that um, serves the planet well um, at an affordable price. So it really did do everything I wanted it to do. Um, and um, then we had the opportunity to sell it. I think I took it to the, the place a place where I felt I couldn't do any more. We'd kind of outgrown it. Um, and I, I probably swore I'd never run a restaurant again. Um, actually, not probably. My kids would definitely say I said that um and um we had the opportunity to move to devon which is an extraordinary opportunity when you have um three kids two of them who are in their teenage years that you know that are willing to move and make a completely drastic move from harper to devon um so we did that and um i dreamed up a, a new idea for a business which i opened in july of last year right in the middle of the pandemic so um Already, I'm sounding slightly crazy, I guess. Um, but the idea was to take on what we'd learned from our Cafe and the Park business, but um, to formalize the kind of the element that was all about social good. So create a social enterprise version of a restaurant. And the idea was to create a model for casual dining that was better, not just for the people that work in it, but for the community that it serves, for the people that eat in it. Um, and the reason we had to do this as a social enterprise is because it has to be um not driven by profit. Um of course profit is important. We're still a business that that seeks to generate profit, but it's what we do with that profit that um although um just you know a caveat, we haven't yet made any profit. Um, you know, that that's not where we are yet, but that's I guess another part of the story. But we're we're early days still. Um so the idea is a blueprint for restaurants that are to run better. Um, it's uh, Op Op, so it Op Op um, is the restaurant. Um, it stands for One Plate, One Price. The idea um, was to create a canteen, a kind of a humble eatery where people came and ate big plates of food at an affordable price, food that was good for them and good for the planet, and kind of came together with their community in a, in a hub, um, you know, connectivity, and bringing people together over food as equals. That's the kind of the basic principle.
0: And uh, the purpose of, uh, you said, it's more than just being in business. It's also to be able to use that whatever profit you make to make the world a better place. Is there anything already in your roadmap when you get to that point? That's what you want to do. This is what you want to transform.
1: The way I see it, the world is you know there's this crisis isn't there so we need some drastic change and I think that restaurants can be a catalyst for some of this drastic change so restaurants have this incredible part to play in the life of a thriving society because you know they're they're prolific they're everywhere and they are mainstream you know lots of people eat out of all different um, budgets and all different demographics lots of people eat out so restaurants have this incredible part to play in being a catalyst for much needed social change and um, I've kind of, I've kind of honed into three areas that I think that restaurants can really um, make a difference in. Um, so the first is around healthy eating and modelling healthy eating, particularly um, around obesity. So we have a huge problem with obesity in this country. It costs. I'm, I'm not even going to quote the figures. It's in the billions what it costs our government. Um, and there's a number of failed policies. So um, one approach and one thing that we're really keen to do is work with um, an academic partner in um, assessing whether restaurants can play a part in this and can model um, social, uh, can model healthy eating in a social setting rather than a clinical one, because I think there's a lot of agreement around, amongst academics that obesity and a lot of health-related um, food issues Food-related health issues even um, are um, treated as clinical um, issues. Really, actually, they're social issues. So that's one area. Can we can we bring people to restaurants, model how to eat well, but not not in a way that's not fun or not pleasurable? You know, demonstrate that there's there's a way to do both. Then the other one, the second one, is access to good work. So um, hospitality, I mean, this is pre-pandemic, so maybe um, figures have changed, but hospitality employs over 8% of the UK working population. I think close to retail, we're the second or third biggest employers. You probably know the facts more than me, but that's obviously huge. And um, according to the Joseph Rowntree Association, um, in-work poverty is growing in our sector. I, I mean, in work poverty, that means people that are working and are poorer for it. That's just a crazy situation. And we can't be a sector that contributes towards that. I mean nobody, nobody can think that's right. So we need to demonstrate that hospitality can become a better employer. Um and I, you know, I there's lots of things in our model that that um that contribute towards that. For example, um saying no to split shifts offering four-day weeks, all the things that offer a work-life balance. So that's the kind of second major social issue I think that restaurants can address. And the third is loneliness. I mean, we have a government minister for loneliness in this country. That That's an appalling thing to acknowledge. And um, we've lost so many of our shared spaces, be that in the form of pubs or community halls or bingo halls, or, you know, the, there are just fewer places where we can go and meet our community and be together. Um, so I think that um, not that I'm suggesting that restaurants offer free food, this isn't a food, this isn't a, a soup kitchen model, but that if we can create restaurants that are more affordable and more inclusive, then maybe they can be the shared spaces that our communities are so desperate for. And we can really look at reducing the level of loneliness in our country and maybe not needing, maybe the money that we spend on a minister for loneliness can be funding people to um, eat out There's an idea
0: yeah and then there's uh which i don't have the numbers on this is my god says we also spend quite a lot of money on you know pharmaceutical products to people to deal with loneliness depression and so on um uh, quite interesting you talked about you know this uh, access to 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 good work Uh, and that's definitely a, a running theme through the industry now because we are lacking hands uh, to, to do the work we, we're all struggling for finding enough people do you think that might could start giving a catalyst for creating better jobs because we just have to well there'll be nobody to do the job that you you said in the world to do like serve customers and make food and you still see restaurants even in the you call it the aftermath of the pandemic uh can't have open all the time they need to maybe only open four days a week or you know, really reduce their, their capacity. Do you think that actually this can be a catalyst for positive change when it comes to make work better?
1: Well, as you say, it has to be, or we're going to see the industry disappear. Um, So I think what we need to do, one of, one of the, the um, elements to our model was to also build um, an academy to um, help people do two things really to, to, join the industry and actually grow in terms of their own personal development. Because I think we as an industry uh, have a terrible reputation for churning people through and not giving them any um, skills to take to their next role. Um, So the Academy was all about delivering... The skills that I think are lacking often in the academic side of hospitality, which are the skills around human behavior and conflict resolution, because I think, you know, in my experience, that's where there's a lot of problem in hospitality. And that's why a lot of people leave it, because we are not good at dealing with conflict. And actually, we need to teach that to people, particularly younger people that are coming into the industry. We need to show it as a positive space to be in. Then the other thing that I think that we need to demonstrate is that a lot of people that join hospitality, uh, myself included, did so because eventually they want to have their own place. A lot of people have big ideas about their own restaurants. And I think really we'd love to see a scene in hospitality where there were so many more um independence uh, you know I feel very sad about the number of chain restaurants that we have on our high streets that I I mean in my humble opinions often serve kind of reheated food over inflated prices but if we could teach a lot of these young people some of the business acumen that they need then maybe we'll see change makers coming out of these jobs these young people going into hospitality roles personally if you ask me I'd like to see it as a national service you know I think everyone should spend six months in hospitality but only in the right jobs we, we need to teach people um, ways to behave and ways to uh, give feedback and ways to listen actively and ways to bring their whole selves to work. Um, and I think we might change the, the industry that way. At the moment, all I can see is people throwing more money at people to offer them jobs and to try and incentivize them. And, you know, I think um, we all know and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're a fan of Dan Pink, too, that um, money doesn't, um, you know, money isn't the biggest incentive. You know, it's mastery, autonomy and purpose that we all need. And, and I think those are the things that we should be focusing on
0: it's really interesting what you say, and I, I, I was just nodding as you were, you were saying all these things, because we're very aligned on that, but I think also there is this life skills that actually we very easily can give people in hospitality, because that was one of the reasons why I stayed, because I learned some skill, and I'm probably lucky also to have some very good people that took me under their wings and learned me life skill around conflict management, that people are different trying to understand people before you talk uh, and I'm still training these skills. But like very early on in my life, I learned these things and that was because I was in hospitality and I had a good mentor, but I was totally locked. It was like throwing the dice. I was just lucky. I could also have had a totally different experience, but I was think, really loved the idea around where you talk about, look at how we can actually use our industry to create entrepreneurs because there's so many, entrepreneurial skills that can be learned in, in hospitality if we just in a way made well because the most important skill for an entrepreneur is not marketing or raising money that's that's a that's a skill you can learn by studying it it's actually all the invisible human things about human energy reading the team reading your partner understand how you behave in the social setting all those things so yeah we we actually we are in the business of making business people i think that was Ari Weinzweig from has said that on the on the podcast, their job is not to create employees; they're creating business people, and they hope either they create a business idea within their business or go on and do something else because they needs better business people. That was what his view on it. So I totally agree on that.
1: And more change makers.
0: Yeah, and more change makers actually uh, the ones to to change things from the inside out. And uh, you you talked a bit about also the the high street. And I guess we had a pivotal moment, but because we talked before the pandemic about the high street that was dying, and I guess I don't know. I haven't been everywhere in the UK, but I've been around some high streets here in the aftermath of the pandemic, and it looks quite looming. It looks like we are we're definitely going to have more shops closed, and I know a new one will come up before a new ones comes again. So we we also have a huge commercial issue if we don't get our high street brought back to life and actually where people are gathering and and getting away from their homes and meeting other people and i love that idea about that you could see that concept be rolled out to different uh, settings as well but one of the things i was thinking uh, i was preparing for this carly and we've had this conversation offline a couple of times like what have your experience been launching because you said People must think I'm not launching in the pandemic, but maybe also the greatest opportunity. But what have you experienced been launching in the pandemic? You know, did you have to change your vision, you know, your roadmap, you know, because you've been thrown the same challenges as
1: anyone else. I mean, it's difficult because not only um have I changed have I started in a pandemic, I've opened a business in a new area. So it's difficult to know if what I'm seeing is as a result just of the pandemic or of the geography. So certainly um, I'm seeing habits have changed and people are spending less money on going out, but that might be a a geography thing as well. I mean, I think habits have changed. Sadly, I think the supermarkets are winning. They're keeping, you know, with their meal deals and their cheap alcohol, they're keeping people in. And actually we're forgetting that, you know, we, we're actually happier with social creatures, that we're happier when we when we socialise. It takes effort um, and it's often uncomfortable, but generally it's worth it. And um, so I think what I've seen um, is that habits have changed and people are just finding excuses not to go out. And that's what we need to remind ourselves as a society, that we're better together. And um, We find, you know, the connections make us stronger. And um, that's what we that's what we gain that we can't get that from our sofas um and so yes I would say that what I've seen is is that but also I think in terms of people I think furlough has been um obviously a, a brilliant success for lots of businesses and so, and, and, and you know I'm, I'm not knocking the furlough scheme in its entirety but I think furlough has made people realize that they quite like um doing less maybe i don't know it feels like people want to work less or maybe they just want to work in hospitality less or maybe more people have realized that they can um work from the comfort of their own homes more and um so you know i worry that the pandemic has changed the um the desire to work in this industry and has given this industry a bad name compared to some of the more kind of um content creator type roles that you can do from the comfort of your own house but i think what we're missing here this fundamental idea that actually being in service is actually a a huge privilege whether you're in service whatever industry when you're serving um you're really you're seeing you're 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 getting to know people you're having conversations you're and and hospitality is just so unique because you're spending time with people that are choosing to be out and choosing to come somewhere to have a good time. And it's this. I think it's this unique privilege that you get to be with lots of people all the time that are choosing to, you know, have fun rather than, you know, a desk job that might be um, much more convenient and maybe more lucrative, but it must be lonelier. Um, It can't be good for your physical well-being, and I don't think it's good for your mental well-being. So I think I'm seeing some downsides um, from both, yeah, customer habits and um, employee habits.
0: What is the the industry's role in in all this? You know, because there's no doubt about you know I, I've rarely used this word chaos, but there's definitely a feel of chaos in the world, in general right now. And what is the role of hospitality in your view here? What, what How can we you know, as an industry, participate? Because I guess it's a lot about being in service, also participating in solving problems.
1: Yeah, and I think I think the first thing to acknowledge is that. At the end of the day, it's all individual people's responsibility within the industry, and I think what we need to acknowledge is that actually doing things right is the harder way. It's about playing the long term game, but eventually, it's probably going to be better for your your own um, mental well being. So, so I think business leaders need to really question what their what their game plan is, because. Um, what we what what they should do for the industry is one thing but I think more importantly what people should do for themselves is realize that actually running a business the right way you've got much more chance of it surviving um, a sustainable business is more sustainable uh, so I think that we just need to talk about that more and talk about what the real problems are and really like look at ourselves because we're all part of the problem and we can all be part of the solution.
0: And that's really interesting because I guess a lot of us has you know had these conversations with ourselves you know during the pandemic during lockdowns, that this is the time for change we need to go out and change we need to go out and change practices around how we run our businesses and I know for uh, because I talk I'm lucky to talk about a lot of game changers that want to change things and then they come out and reality hits them so they have this plan I. Right? Uh, philosophy that they want to change something but then the rest of the world is not doing it or they feel in a very they don't feel in a the majority they are a very little small group of people who want to do that have that been your own experience as well that you have this you know you have a very clear vision you know what you want to change but then when you put it into reality and the, the wheels hit the the road it's just challenging
1: I think nobody's thought that my ideas are bad so that's definitely reassuring but yeah you're right I'm just a a lone voice and a small voice but um, I guess you know change has to come from somewhere I think that's why what I wanted to do is actually build the model so that I had a working model to say look this is the way because I think it's very easy to talk about it um, and a lot harder to do it Um, I spend a lot of my time trying to make connections with people um, from charities, from um, the Campaign to End Loneliness, to um, the Committee for Social Prescribing, to academic bodies looking into new ways of um, supporting people with obesity. And and I, I spent a lot of time trying to network and trying to kind of put links between all these different bodies and say, look, maybe maybe this is the answer. Um, you know, in in World War Two, the Labour government um, introduced uh, the British restaurants. I think there were over 600 restaurants that um, were quite unique because they weren't soup kitchens. They weren't just feeding people that were poor. They were actually bringing together people as equals um, over, over a table with a tablecloth and decent food. And the Labour government saw that actually a society that was fairly broken, the thing it needed more than anything was to be brought together as equals and that societies that are more equal are the societies that are happier um there's a lot of research that backs up that thinking and so uh again i've kind of gone off tangent but yes i am a lone voice and a national restaurant service is a big um is is a big goal um but i guess at some point we need some radical ideas to address some of these issues and the thing i think about a national restaurant service is that it doesn't have to be completely funded by grants and government you know a, a restaurant group can run pretty effectively without funding. But if you were going to top, top some of that up, let's say 80% funded by revenue and maybe 20% funded by various different charities and social prescribing, maybe there's a model in there, maybe there's a balance where we can end up um, funding um, people's, you know, medical uh, need and, and and put that money towards their social need.
0: Yeah, and I really like that you talk about, you know, food in a way for social justice in principle also and but also bringing people together there because there's nothing more powerful. I know that from other businesses I've been running and when you put people together around a table and good food on it and they become equals. It doesn't matter if you're a director or you're an assistant or you're the intern, suddenly you become equal because you're talking about the food and you start to solve problems indirectly so it's very very powerful um and it's really interesting as, as you bring this up now you know uh, some some people has like said really radical it feels like the aftermaths after a war we're going through mentally my, my dad talks about that and he's he he did, he was part of the second world war and really had that close on the family because my my granddad was in the resistance movement uh, movement i got captured by the german at that point and and, and they really had grief and so on. And then he said, it feels a bit like I feel the same vibe, but it's just covered up a bit in all this digital commercial stuff. He says, uh, he, he's not on social media. That's not what he does, but he just feels that the world have forgot a bit about each other. He said, we're not coming together as a society. And, and, and of course we have to create you know vehicles for this. And that's what you talk about when you talk about an experiment or a, a Something like that. As you, you've you been building this business, and there's a new business, it's really driven on purpose and, and social impact. Uh, what have your thoughts been around leadership and management? And what have you been experimenting with? Because I know you you started out with a very different approach, which I was like, when I thought I said to you, absolutely great, carly Go ahead, man. This is the future. This is where leadership is gonna be changed.
1: Yeah, as as we've discussed, we looked at um The works of people like Frederick Lallou and reinventing organizations and we thought about, okay, we're we're doing some revolutionary things here with creating a new model for casual dining. Um, Actually, I should be clear that I'm definitely talking about casual dining when I talk about restaurants because I think the fine dining side of the industry is quite different. Um, So, yeah, we're looking at um, self-managed teams. Um, and what would that look like in hospitality? And if anyone knows anything about self-organization and self-managed teams, there's a huge number of success stories. And the kind of the basic principles are that people bring their whole selves to work. People take responsibility for the job they do. People have more autonomy and um, people make decisions collectively. But within all of that, there's a framework. And um, so I, I went away before we started and I, I, I diligently wrote my um, my playbook, which kind of put all these principles into place that people could understand what was the driver you know simon sinek we started with why why we wanted to to do that because i guess again now going back to down pink the autonomy was kind of right this is this is where the industry has gone wrong we're so full of copycat chains where the autonomy is gone people have no skills anymore because everything's cooked in the central kitchen um no one's you know we're losing all the skill from the industry so we need to put autonomy back um centrally and i think that That's where the self-organisation came from. People could drive their own day. And so we put in place um, structures about how we would make decisions as a team, what sort of decision we'd make as a team, who you might speak to about a decision. We talked about um, consensus versus consent. So what that means is that if you're making decisions as a group, you don't have to have... Consensus you don't have to have everybody around the table in agreement, but what you have to have is consent to give it a go If no one um, if no one puts their hand up and says I won't do it then Then there's they're giving you their consent even if they're not completely behind the idea so we, we had the kind of all these structures in place and um, You know, these aren't my ideas. They're, they're the ideas borrowed from a number of people that have written on the subject And then there's all the organizations as you know, but being the most famous that make this work very well And, you know, I was of the belief that I wasn't the manager, I was a leader, but I was the leader on vision, someone else might be the leader on coffee, someone else might be, you know, that leadership is about um, earning respect from your team and leading by example, and it's not about... um, it's not about hierarchy, I guess. This is all about a flat structure and and you know treating each other as equals. That it's not necessarily mean that everyone's paid the same. Everyone brings different experience to the table, but that everybody is has um, the equal opportunity to um, have their voice heard. Uh, it wasn't as it wasn't easy, and um, well, we've actually had to go back to the beginning and kind of restart again because things have not been things have been hard. But I guess what I've learned is maybe that sort of structure doesn't work for hospitality. Or if it does, maybe what you need to do first is um, have your frameworks and your organized or your operational approach very, very firmly in place because there was kind of too much for everyone to agree or disagree on it. The foundations of the business weren't set enough. Uh, And in the end, it became a little bit of a weapon that people used against me uh, if we made a decision uh, you know, for example, how we put cutlery on the tables. If that wasn't done as a group, you know, suddenly we weren't following our our principles and we weren't staying true to our core. And it was it became exhausting uh, because actually what we wanted people to do was to um, help shape the the journey, and it wasn't about the detail, but it became too detail oriented. That being said, I still think it's very much the approach we need to put autonomy back. Um, and but I think probably what we need to do is. Is also introduce the academy side of it to so teach the skills that we didn't that people need around conflict um, resolution and active listening. And I think maybe if we had the time and the, um, the finances to do that, then maybe we would have had a team that would have been able to hear each other more, and uh, maybe everyone would have taken responsibility instead of no one taking responsibility, which then left me in a in, in a bad place. You know, but I take full responsibility for that. There was a lot of learning um and you know i'm starting again already only eight months in by building it back up again brick by brick as it were
0: yeah and i think uh, also because in principle you are not just um, trying to do it for your business you are in a way you're hiring people as might been in similar jobs before suddenly that's a whole new way of operating that's my own experience as well so actually how to decode or unlearn the way of you know how I work and how normally things are done, it can be quite challenging as well as, as going through a pandemic on top of it. And I think also that's one of the things that's worth taking it because I've uh, been on a similar journey myself. I just know it's not because people don't want, but also it could be the skill set that you said, like suddenly the skills you need to be successful in a job, it's not how fast you run. Or that you can do it quicker, or you can sell up more than others. Exactly, these human skills again. And that's exactly what makes leaders leaders is they are very good at doing the invisible stuff, you know, that nobody knows. And they train that. It's not coming, it's not something they just learned because they were born in a specific place with a specific mom and dad. It's actually something they train to become good at, like the, these human skills. And suddenly, if people come in, out of the blue they need to lead themselves it can be a very big ask because i think a lot of people don't know how to lead themselves as well
1: yeah i think yeah people first of all this can't work this this principle without people um knowing themselves really well and i think something that we we probably get wrong like in education in our in uh, you know you had a very different education for me but in british education we don't talk about Um, we don't talk about enough you know what we're good at and what we're not good at and I think if more people recognize what they're not what they're not good at and what they're good at maybe what they could do is is say well this is what I can bring to the the party what are you going to bring to the party and you know it it kind of accepting that we've all got different skills and strengths and you know we've all got something to learn from someone and we've all got something to teach we need to be humble enough to learn um, and you know we need to be bold enough to lead I guess
0: yeah, and I really, you know, uh, applaud you for not giving up on the idea because I still believe fundamentally in the idea like you. But it's sometimes you need to experiment and find out step by step what works and and doesn't work. So there's no doubt about this is definitely part of the solution to build a, not just a better industry, but a better world where people take themselves wholly to work and actually have an impact. What is the uh, going from the leadership conversation and the way you approach management and now you're, you're trying to, to, you know, decode and recode your algorithm for leadership. What about does, how does that connect it with the staffing crisis? Because, you know, people say, well, it's not just hospitality, it's everywhere, but as frontline people, we struggle to get hands enough. Do you think leadership approach in general, the industry, very top-down, traditional. Maybe some people would disagree with me, but I still think we have a very top-down industry. Command and control is the way we do it.
1: So I think, you know, you can have the top-down. So there's something about experience, isn't there, that, um, that, that kind of that hierarchy forms naturally because the people with the experience sit at the top. But but maybe there's a few things. So um, one of the things we wrote into our our articles, into our, the legal the legal framework of our business was about ratios um, of salary so I think you know that is a huge thing Uh, and our industry is probably notorious for for the people at the top being all the top and inverted commas being paid um, huge hugely times huge multiples of the people at the bottom um, so I think that one thing that we need to do is make commitments to what those ratios are and to keep them respectable. And what the way we looked at it is if we have a ratio of, let's say, we, we actually put eight eight times that we were never going to pay the people at the top of our business any more than eight times people at the bottom, top and bottom are terrible words. So I, you get what I mean. We need to put new words in there. But um, And the idea was by doing that, then we would always be looking at, instead of, how much we pay the highest pay, but we'll always be looking at trying to improve the pay of those, the least paid, because ultimately that then improves the ability to pay those, everyone more, if that makes sense. So that's kind of one fundamental thing that I think um, you might still have a hierarchy, but there's a kind of element of respect and that, um, and I think that's something that the pandemic really showed us that we are all interdependent, that I can't do my job if you don't do yours and you don't do yours. So there's no point, you know, we have to acknowledge that And that some of us have had the fortune to grow up somewhere um, that we had better access to better education or maybe our home life was more stable. We've all got different situations and different privileges that might put us in situations that um, mean that we have a higher salary or, or higher up the career ladder than someone else. But ultimately, we all need each other. And so I just think, you know, in, in my utopian world, but actually probably in reality as well, that businesses will work better if everyone works towards the common goal and supports each other. And um, so, yeah, I think hierarchy within the industry is it, we probably have to wait a while until we can completely um, scrap hierarchy because it's a kind of stressful, intense situation where sometimes people have to make snap decisions. And I think, you know, it's it's not like a it's not like a software company where kind of decisions, you know, decisions have to be made at the moment. Uh, but I think there's a huge amount of acknowledging that we are, that we are all human beings. We are all equal. We all have something to contribute. Um, that, that that's a big piece that needs to be looked at in our industry.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Birdsock before the, the care company in, in Holland. And I and think what is, I, I wouldn't say care is, directly equal with what you do in the frontline hospitality but there is some degree of it and that actually gives me hope it's possible when you can create a company of ten thousand employees to be able to work as a self-organized organization but of course that's a journey it's not like something you decide on a on a weekly workshop that no but it
1: it shows it's possible doesn't it yeah, yeah
0: yeah um what, what is your prediction for um if you had to crystal ball, Carly, and looked at hospitality and you know, where we are now, I think it's a very, you know, very scary but also exciting place to be right now because we can rewrite the playbook, but it could also be a very challenging time that comes ahead, as you said as well. I've heard it from others saying as well, there wasn't some excitement going out eating. It feels like, you know, now we we plateaued a bit and You know the world has just become again with a with a war going on in europe like something has just shaken us again getting nervous about what's going to happen what is the next move here in life
1: so what we need to do is we need to celebrate the the great that can come from bringing people together and reminding ourselves that the pandemic has made us become more isolated mental health has you know has become a much bigger issue particularly with young people and that the solution to so many of our problems are about society and equality and that that's where hospitality can really it can you know we can decide as an industry that we're going to just play the old game and you know put our heads in the sand and you know hope for better or we can really make some fundamental radical changes um, it requires people maybe, I mean, can I say this, it requires people to be a bit less greedy in terms of um, the money they make. You know, that comes from the investors and, and the CEOs and the um, probably across the board. You know, we need to share the wealth. We need to distribute it more evenly um, within the industry. The people that are on the shop floor serving customers need to be paid better so that they can have a better quality of life so that they stay in the industry so that we don't have this huge change around that it's not this transient industry. It becomes a career again, like it is in other countries, like it used to be in our country. It becomes more respected. We start telling our kids to go and be chefs again because we can see that there's future and there's prospects. Um, then we you know the whole thing kind of it's a cyclical thing then we get more people that are well trained so that they can go and be teachers of food nutrition in schools because i don't know about your kids but my kids learn food nutrition through youtube they you know they literally set up a laptop in the classroom because there were no teachers so this is a you know this is a big problem this is not going to be resolved in the next year or the next five years but we have to start working towards better and yeah i think the biggest thing here is um a little bit of wealth redistribution
0: yeah i think also it's interesting what you just touch on there is like hospitality can also be like a, a vehicle for understanding and engaging better with food and the whole food system which also is we're entirely breaking down across the the world and, and that has huge impact on us and the generations to come if we can't feed ourselves and we don't have that respect for where the food comes from the soil for example i think there's so many deep things that hospitality can be part of are changing and and we have the opportunity now to write a new a new chapter or even a new playbook I would say for how we do things and and I really 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 endorse that you you're trying to do that on um on the journey the last couple of years probably more than more than 2 years with the pandemic things what is like your most significant learning because like it, it it's always tough to start a business um and then the pandemic and then you want to do something that's radical different you're setting the bar very high very high ambition what has that been like you know the learning you would like to share with people
1: well i guess in hindsight i shouldn't have taken on a site before i'd proved. i should have started small again even though i'd even though i'd run a restaurant before i think i should have started small with the idea because what I what I've left myself with is um, too many overheads to um, to have to manage so that I'm not really able to work on the business I'm too busy working in the business which means I can't grow things so really what I should have done in retrospect is um, not taken on a site which is kind of every you know just I just wanted you know bricks and mortar to say this is this is the this is the idea this is the model come and see it uh, but maybe in hindsight I would have been better off uh, not just talking about the theory because I think it's very important that we start doing and we don't just talking but maybe um, working with someone on a pop-up um you know building it that way uh, maybe I think yeah not maybe I think definitely because like I said now I'm a little bit stuck and, and until I find um, someone that wants to collaborate or or potentially invest somebody that gets it, somebody can see that this has legs, that this is the way the industry is going until that point. um, I'm a little bit stuck in working, working in it. And it's very frustrating because the purpose is what drives me.
0: So it's really interesting. So acknowledging that, you know, that you, you created a bit of a challenge situation, but actually you would have loved to start a bit like an experiment on, on different things. Um but also you're taking responsibility where where you are now. Love that. What about uh, people on your journey? You've probably met a lot, but there's probably some people as that's been very significantly impacting you and influencing you to do what you do today and the journey you're on. Who are the most, you know, there's probably many people, but like who are the top three people has influenced you?
1: Oh gosh, that's a big question. Um I mean Definitely, um, our the chair of our board, who um, is Karen Lynch, who is vice chair of Social Enterprise UK. She um, is definitely a tour de force in the in the world of social enterprise, and and really just has our back at every um, every turn in this. Um, and I guess fundamentally, the biggest thing she does is believe in us. Which, um, when you're having a you know a low moment, having someone that believes in you is you know really beyond helpful. It's been a bit of a lonely journey. Um, i'm I'm speaking to a lot of people that that are enthusiastic and get it and um, but then I then they go quiet because ultimately I'm asking people to really look at themselves and change. Um, and, and social enterprise really requires people to put their and, and so does self-organization, to people to put their ego to one side. Um, and to say this isn't about me, this is about um, doing something better and doing something that creates change. And so I'm not saying that um, there aren't those people around, of course, and I'm definitely not the only person that feels like that. Um, But in this industry, in this area, um, I'm I'm not meeting the people that um, everyone's, I guess everyone's firefighting. Do you know that's what it is? It's not even about the ego piece. It's the fact that everyone's firefighting and people are just too busy Keeping their heads above water um, to play the long game.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's also an outcome of where we are right now in the world. There's a lot of people where everything is on stake. You know, it's a uh, they they're going through. I think you're right about that. Um, but also, I think there's an element of uh, being brave enough to believe in the new thing and and throw yourself out there because I think we also. I talked with somebody the other day where I said like, but we can't really predict anything anymore. The only thing you can control is yourself and what you do with your time and where you invest your time. Because so long as you believe in that, it's going to be the right thing to do and you are giving more than you take then uh, I believe you will have a place in the future. I don't know where or when, how, but I that's how I approach things myself. But you really have to deeply believe Believe the only thing you can impact is yourself and your own behavior. Um, How do you show up? You know, I call it pro or strong every day because you're a founder slash CEO of a new venture and you've been very honest and thank you for sharing that. It's challenging. And How, how do you find the... the the boost and energy there is to, to show up in the way you need to, to, to keep on going, you know, 1% every day.
1: Um, I guess, uh, the answer is I probably have moments when I show up strong and lots of moments when I don't. So I think there's something really important about showing your vulnerability and I'm very happy and willing to do so. And I do so quite often. Uh, but I guess what keeps me going is because I truly believe, that if you want the, you know you have to acknowledge that it's not going to be easy to make change and that this really you know really the idea you know again that restaurants really have this place in our society to be this catalyst to be this to be It's a moment in time it's an idea whose time has come we need we need change and it needs business businesses need to to drive forward that change businesses are are you know the the way that individuals in our society create change a lot of the time charities and businesses uh and so yes so i just have to remind myself that um the purpose and the passion is still there and but yeah as i say the vulnerability side as well i think you know people need to see the whole person and um yeah i i'm definitely good at showing the whole person
0: yeah, there's no doubt about you, you're carrying, carrying a lot in uh, on the journey where it is right now. And I think vulnerability is actually, you know, it's become a bit of a buzzword, but showing it as a leader, it's a very, very different thing and being willing to share that because, you know, that's also where positive things happens, because it shows you're human, you are not a, a robot. In, in principle, a computer, as one of my friends says, now you're a computer, Michael, you're not a human. And it's really interesting. He sees it's a bit like lots of people have become even more computer driven because of the pandemic, because they've been sitting more behind screens. So therefore they forgot to be humans. He has a really interesting thoughts on that. Taking that in mind that, you know, we need to change and we need to have a purpose. What would your advice be to, to leaders out there if restaurants has to be a catalyst for change and not just in our industry, but in society? What is your top advice to, to leaders out there right now?
1: I mean, you said it before and you quoted Gandhi, you know, be the change you want to be. You have to live it. You have to live it. And I think the biggest thing you can do is, as a leader is lead on vision um because you can if, if it's your idea you have to make sure that everything you're doing is aligned to your vision everything else can be brought by someone else on the team but if you're the leader if it's your project you have to drive on the vision um and uh, and as uh, i can't remember who it was that said that um uh when you're trying to do dis- when you're when you're when you're leading on vision you have to be quite uh vision is visual, isn't it? So you have to really kind of conjure up an image. And um, in Martin Luther King's speech, you know, I had a dream. Uh, I, I can't quote it exactly, but it was something about little, little white girls holding the hands of um, little black girls. Or it, it, was, it was very, very clear what his vision was. And I think that was a real moment for me that I have to be really, really clear because if I'm not clear about the vision, no one's going to follow me.
0: I love that. That's a super advice because uh, back to Singermans, I often quote in the show is like they spend time every year on their vision together with their people and really trying to explain and simplify what the vision is, as you talk Martin Luther King there, is actually making it so spelled out that anyone would be able to understand what kind of world we're trying to create or what kind of business or Community, we are trying to to, to say. And actually, often we think think vision is about those two liners about something in the future, and then put it on the wall or down in the drawer again or in the presentation, and we forget about it. But actually, it's the it's stories, you know, and exemplifying, as you said, because if lots of people can remember Martin Luther King. Maybe they can't remember the specific word, but they absolutely understand, even to this day, that what it was all about. It was actually solving a big issue of inequality in in the world
1: yeah and he simplified it exactly
0: is there any question or is the one question you wish that i've asked you uh and uh, what would you have answered
1: i guess the big question is what do i need and then the answer um that's harder uh what do i need well i guess first of all it's not about i it's about um the idea and the vision and um, the vision needs people that believe in it and people that can see that it's got legs and that maybe that, um, this radical, that we need radical thinking, um, it, you know, paying people more, dropping split shifts, adopting four day weeks, uh, offering food that's more affordable. You know, they're all, they're all ideas that are quite not in line with the way that mainstream casual dining is going, uh, but we need to acknowledge that what we're doing is fairly broken. It's not working for full people, for communities. And so what I need is for people to not just agree with what I'm saying, but to um, put their feet forward and, and come and join us on this journey, whether they're academics that want to um, join us in terms of research and demonstrate that, um, that this That this movement that this idea of a national research um, restaurant service is an idea whose time has come whether it's uh, people that have work in high street regeneration that can see that this idea might might not bring the kudos that a a big national restaurant chain might bring to a town center but it might bring more shared spaces and be better in long term for their communities and bring more people into the high street so I just want to speak to people that, that get what we're saying and whether they want to advise us or support us or work with us, um, I'd love people to get in touch.
0: And where did they do that?
1: Oh, well, the website. So we're called OPOP. So um, the website is opopop.org.uk or find us on Instagram, um, opop underscore one plate, one price. Or come and visit us in the restaurant in Ashburton. It's an old spray shop. It's a great site, um, big garden. Uh, you know, it's, if you're on holiday in Devon, look us up.
0: Great, great, Carly. We will put all the the things in the show notes as well, so so people can can find you either traveling there or connect with you online in in any kind of way. Thank you so much, Carly, for coming, sharing this journey, and. Uh, the, the successes, but more important, the learnings and the challenges this brings as well, and the change that needs to to happen. And thank you for being, you know, that you know, vision and inspiration for a better industry.
1: Well, and thank you for your thoughtful questions and for um, your interest in what we're doing.
0: Thank you so much, Carly. I really love the whole idea about how you are trying to set a new and better way of building hospitality businesses that gives more than it takes. I recommend you now to ask yourself, how do I ensure my business give more than it takes? To get further inspiration on how to lead with purpose, please check out our episode 149 with Julie Kleeman and Jesse Yamper, founders of bit on connecting with your community. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Be Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. And you can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the podcast collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter. For more Maverick insights and ideas at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinksa, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!